We take our Bibles up at this time and turn to Psalm 81, the psalm that we've sung a part of together. Certainly a prayer that we would listen to the Lord, but truly a call then to the same, knowing not just that this is about what we do, but it is about who God is, and so a claiming of that which he always is for his praise and for our good. So let's hear these words together, Psalm 81, to the choir master according to the Gatith of Asaph, hear now the word of the Lord. Sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob, raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day, for it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, those words that you speak need to be a prayer for us tonight that we would but listen to you. And Father, we know that there are so many things that can get in the way of our hearing of your word. The cares of the week gone by and our griefs in it. The cares of the week that lays ahead that we've really tried not to think about. The struggles, Father, to listen, to submit, to heed to your word. Father, the struggle at times to understand the word bearer or to apply ourselves to it. And so, Lord, we pray for a full measure of your Holy Spirit, that we would listen, that we would heed, that we would obey, and that we would be thankful for what we hear, for they are words of comfort from you, words of life, and words of hope. And so, Lord, bless the preaching of your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Children of God called to be saints, would you please just listen? These are the words of any number of exasperated parents, frustrated wives, discouraged teachers, and a multitude of various employers and employees. If you would just listen. We find ourselves even saying that to ourselves. Maybe the struggles of interactions that we have. If you would just listen, life would be a whole lot easier for you. We get aggravated. 
we're frustrated. Don't you, don't you hear me? No, I know you hear me. Why aren't you listening to me? And that struggle is real. There's nothing I'm going to say that takes away from that. And with it then, though, comes the struggle to be patient and the struggle to be compassionate, long-suffering, even able to extend grace to those who need it. But the problem is that even in hearing that, and you're starting to see those people when I say, would you please just listen? But we're never imagining ourselves when we imagine ourselves saying that. It's always someone else that can't hear. It's always someone else that can't listen. But it's never me. You see, that's a mistake. For in the description of God's word, his standard and instruction for all things of our doctrine and life, it seems that the listening problem and obeying problem is ours. Because before a holy God, what is our primary obligation but to hear and obey? That's the thing. He is almighty. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is king who has brought us out and has brought us near. And so he is to be obeyed. He is to be listened to. When that doesn't happen, it brings catastrophe every time. In fact, the greatest threat to God's people is to fail to listen to him, to fail to listen to God, to fail to listen and obey his word. And yet that same God, who has every right to be exasperated and frustrated and discouraged with our ability to listen, remember, and obey, really to trust, he says, I'm going to continue speaking my word to you. He doesn't stop. He doesn't think, you know what, if you're not going to listen to me, forget it. No, he keeps speaking. He pleads with us to listen. Pleading with us, hear and see all the ways that I have shown myself strong and faithful and kind in all the promises that I've given so that you would place your hope and your confidence in me. Hear it. Listen to it. If we would but listen. In the joys and difficulties of life, if we would but listen. In all the joys and difficulties of life, if we would but listen. If in all the things our church, our families, ourselves, if we would but listen to him. And that call comes again in his goodness. And taking up that call always brings about his blessings. And that's what's laid before us in Psalm 81 tonight. The Lord calls his people to listen to him and his word always, remembering his past works and future promises. The Lord calls his people to listen to him and his word always, remembering his past works and his future promises. And so that call to listen and remember is ours tonight as he reminds us of three things. I will always hear you in verses 1 through 5. I will always promise you in verses 6 through 10. And I will always satisfy you in verses 11 through 16. But that first is this. He will always hear us. We don't always listen to him. 
but he will always hear us. It's, it's a remarkable assurance. It's one that we don't extend to those that we're exasperated with, but he is patient with us. When we cry out in repentance, when we cry out in worship, when we cry out in gratitude, he will always hear and act. That's the truth we hold to as we gather and even as we've lifted this song and note of praise in verse 1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. That's how we began our service. He is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Our children learn it early. We are weak, but he is strong. You see, when we're in trouble and we cry to him in faith, there's never a moment that he does not hear. But why do we struggle to hear that? Why do we struggle to to act upon that and live that? Why does it take us so long to call to him as though we believe our requests will fall on deaf ears? You see, that can't ever be according to his word, if we would but listen. So keep calling him in prayer. Keep calling out to him in worship. Verse 2, raise a song, sound the tambourines, the sweet lyre with a harp. It's the buildup of praise. Now this is more than just me and the statement that I make, but this is community. The praise starts with him who is our strength and song, who has become our salvation. It's the reality that calls us to sing and dance his deliverance with all the saints. Even as reference is being made here to what Israel did after passing through the Red Sea. The joy and the wonder of what God has done for us. The Lord has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has cast into the sea. It was the praise of the great victory of God. And yet even now the Lord brings this truth again. This is a long time after the exodus. But why? Why keep bringing it up? The Lord brings his truth before his people again and again and again because they need to hear it again and again and again. You know what? I've heard the gospel once. Why do I have to keep coming back to church every Sunday? Why do you want me to come back morning and evening? Because we need to hear it again and again. And so, in this text even, God sets a reminder. And maybe you're someone who uses reminders. I still am paper and pen and planner, so I don't really play with my phone that way. But maybe you do. So you won't be late to pick up the kids. Or you won't forget to drink your water or take your pills. Here is the sound that you set. So when you hear it, In Pavlovian fashion, you're going to do what it tells you to do. Here, God sets his people in a desire to remind them to listen and obey. He sets them a sound as a reminder to listen to him. Verse 3, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. Here is the tempo, here is the sound that I'm going to give you. Because the horn, the shofar, was used to call the people out or to gather them for worship. It was a sound they would have linked to celebration. To a celebration of the mighty works and will of the Lord. To celebrate the goodness and beauty of God in all of the feasts. To come together to hear and rejoice in the works of God's provision and deliverance. 
But that horn then, in that way as they were gathered together, was given to Israel to remind them of whom they belong to. You're mine. You belong to me. You are to give your ear to me. And this is expanded in the words of Numbers 10, verse 10. On the day of your gladness, also at your appointed feast, and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Here now is that hearing that we see, but now here's the sacrifice. Here is the way that we've been brought into fellowship with you, God. And so it wasn't a suggestion to know that he heard them. It was his law. I want you to know about it, and here's how it is enforced. Verse 4, it is a statute for Israel. It is a rule of the God of Jacob. That he makes a law, he makes a rule for them to celebrate him. Celebrate my work. Hear me. Know me. I want you to do this. He makes them ponder his work and his word. He made rules so his people would hear and pause and celebrate his grace. To us, that blessing of the call to worship. The blessing each Sunday, morning and evening, of being called out to hear again the voice of a good and gracious king who delights in our worship, who wants us to hear him and to rejoice in him And celebrate him forever. For we hear and rejoice in the great things he's done. We remember and proclaim him. We speak his blessings to our children. So that they too would listen and obey by the working of the word and spirit. He's reminding us, I hear you. By having us speak that truth that we have heard to the next generation. Hear it in Psalm 78, if you want to turn your Bibles just a few pages back. Psalm 78, verses 5 through 8. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and hear it, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. That knowing he hears us, while again, this is great benefit and great blessing, we're brought again to our need to hear him. To gather at the Lord's command to celebrate his mighty works and his awesome deeds. Let that call ring out to us as that kind of reminder, even when we don't feel like worshiping or we feel like we're too tired or it's too much of a production to get the kids ready to go. It's a reminder to come. To come according to the call of the Lord, knowing that he hears, and we're to hear and obey in thanks for his promised deliverance. For he made a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt, I hear a language that I had not known. That here he says, I have delivered you, my people, from oppression in a strange land. 
He reminds us of that so that we would not forget that the God who always hears is the God who saves and delivers. He's been faithful, he is faithful, and he will be faithful. So keep lifting up those prayers even in that strange land. Continue celebrating the wonders of God even when the struggles and difficulties of this life are real. Keep lifting your worship and works to him and thanksgiving for his work of deliverance on your behalf in Christ. And remember that he makes great promises that he always keeps that you would live them out in that in the second place. Because he says, I will always promise you. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that he promises that he'll always give great promises and he promises that he will keep them every time. He promises to give them And he promises to keep them. In fact, he's kept his greatest promise, his mother promise, in Jesus Christ. That's the joy of our celebration here tonight. He's placed that promise on our heads and the heads of our children in his goodness and faithfulness. He gives us a promise that he keeps his word and that he keeps every one of them. We have every bit of assurance in that word and what he speaks to us and promises us. But we don't always live that comfort and assurance out. And we still get to those points in our lives where, is he going to be faithful? Is he going to provide? Is he going to meet me in my need? Will he deliver? Will he care? Will he listen? We say these things. This isn't some made-up scenario. We find ourselves there. But Christian, if the Lord has kept all of his promises in the past, if he has revealed his name to us that says he'll always keep his covenants, why do we think he's going to stop keeping them? Why do we think that he's going to stop being who he's always been? He keeps his word. He works salvation. Again, made clear in the Exodus, verse 6, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. I have borne your griefs and carried your sorrows. I've taken all of your burdens on myself because I care for you. I've delivered you from the burden of building Egypt as slaves. I've freed your hands from having to carry the materials needed to create brick after brick after brick. And what did he do? Verse 7, in distress you called and I delivered. I heard and I kept my word. And so in that way, God is saying, don't ever forget. You called and I answered. Don't forget. Exodus 2, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel And God knew. God always sees. He always hears. And he always knows. So that we can say even in our confession, in all distress and persecution with uplifted head, we confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in our place and remove the whole curse from us. We call and he hears acting according to who he is, 
acting according to his steadfast, unchanging, promised love. And he declares it plainly. He took his people out of Egypt. I didn't just make a promise. I kept it. He brought them through the sea, Red Sea on dry ground. He brought them to his holy mountain. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. And yet that becomes, even in all of that, certainly, but there comes the crux of the testing of their faith. Do you believe me? Do you believe in my promise? That Moses says it at the end of the giving of the law in Exodus 20. Verse 20, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. I've given you great promise. I've kept my promise. I'm the God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So live for me. Live out my promise. But they sinned. We sin. We're brought before the Lord. We're brought before his glory every time we come to worship into the presence of the Almighty. And we still sin. We forget to listen and obey. We fail the test. And so we need one given according to that promise who is fully faithful to every part of that will and way. We need one to be offered to us and for us who would be perfectly righteous for us and given wholly to the will of the Father that he could be our answer. But it's further, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Children, do you remember that the place Meribah is the place of not just one fail for the people of Israel, but two. Not just one. I mean, you sit there and say, I don't want to come home having failed one test. But the same test twice? But that's what's here. In Exodus 17, the people quarreled against Moses from the start. He just leads them out. I have given you every blessing in myself, and they quarrel with Moses. They wonder, is God even among us? And yet the Lord stood before them. He even says it there on the rock at Horeb. And so Moses is instructed to strike the rock and water came forth for the people to drink. The God of great promises, able to bring water from the rock, the rock which is Christ, the living water in order to keep his word. And so I say to you, congregation, is he any less willing to keep the promises he's made to you and his one and only son? Of course not. We know this. Do we believe it? Do we live it? But towards the end of the Exodus, there's a second fail in the same place. Again, there is no water, but they forget. Wait, isn't this deja vu all over again? Like, we've already been here. We've already done this. Yet they quarrel with Moses. They thought they would die. They don't remember God's past provision and promise. Moses gets frustrated. The mediator who is only pointing to Christ and is not Christ gets frustrated. He forgets the nature and purpose of God, and what does he do? Instead of speaking to the rock according to the instruction, hearing the word of God, he strikes it. 
and it brings catastrophe. Numbers 20, 12 and 13, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you, and hear this, like, this verse slays me in thinking about Moses and all of his work before the people. You've been set apart for this. You have lived this. You have walked all this exile with them. You are just about to get to the promised land. And he says to him, what? Because you did not believe me. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. And in terms of his promises, that's what we forget most. We make promises in sin and break them in sin and disobedience. But God makes promises and never breaks them because he is holy altogether. Yes, he's loving, he's kind, he's merciful, he's gracious, but we can have every confidence in his promises on the basis solely that he is holy. And he desires that we would be holy as he is holy, bringing us before his promises again and again and again and again so we would listen, so that we would remember, that we would be convicted, and that we would turn to him. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. Come back. Return to me. And yet here we almost take this pose like, Are this stance like, here's God, he's giving it to him. He's telling him to it like it is. We focus on the word admonishment. But what else is here? I want you to hear because you're mine. Mine. Not on the basis of anything else. You're mine. You're still mine. You will always be mine. Remember my promise. It's what I've set you apart for. It's what I've redeemed you for. It's what I've delivered you unto. Listen and obey. You've seen my work. You've heard my promise. You know me forever gracious and faithful. So stop doubting and disobeying the one who has delivered you. Who has given all things for you who's given you a life to be lived dependent on his grace. Israel needed to hear and remember God's word. Moses and Aaron needed to hear and remember God's word. Brothers and sisters, are we in any less need? We're so quick to forget his past works and promises because we do not give ourselves and our hearts fully to the hearing and keeping of the word of the Lord. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Motir writes, quote, the hallmark of the Lord's people is hearing God's word, end quote. And you say, well, how do we set aside his promise? I mean, that promise is placed on our head. By forsaking his law. By forgetting his promise. By setting aside his deliverance. 
we break the first commandment and by extension every one of his commands. Verse 9, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. It's the clear teaching of the law. We're all guilty before it. We all forget him and his promise as we serve our lusts and desires disregarding a holy God. And yet he says, I want you to hear who I am again. Verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I said it at the first before I gave my law. You've broken my law, and so I want you to remember. He declares his completed promise. You've seen it. Your existence gives testimony to it. And so here is his plea. Like the little kid on Valentine's Day going to find his sweetheart. Be mine. Be mine. Your existence gives testimony to it. So be mine. Be my people. Be children of the promise. Be holy. Be those who trust in my promise of salvation for you in Jesus Christ. Be those who know all of your blessing and life in me. Be mine. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Put your trust forever in the Lord, knowing that I will save and deliver and provide. And when life's circumstances tempt you to doubt his promise and provision, we remember the exodus. We remember how the Lord used it in the life of his chosen. Deuteronomy 8, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. And here's where the psalm then doesn't pick up the last part. God says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But now what is to be the response to that? Deuteronomy 8.10, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. You see, he blesses us with salvation so that in gratitude we would be obedient to him in thanks. Knowing that covenant obedience always brings covenant blessing. So don't forget. Don't forget the God who makes and keeps great promises. Don't forget the lessons Israel was taught in the wilderness. Don't forget the lessons that a covenant-keeping faithful God has taught you in your wanderings in the extension of His grace. And don't forget that true satisfaction is only and always found in him. And that is true if we listen to him as well. 
because we know that to be true according to all that we've heard and all that's been promised to us in his word and in his word made flesh. Because nothing in this world can provide the satisfaction that is found only in him. Nothing we desire compares with him. Nothing can satisfy us like following after him in love and thankful obedience, given according to all we've been given in Christ Jesus our Lord. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Seek me, and I will grant you the desires of your heart. Or in Isaiah 55, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. It is the greatest of promises. This is yours. You are mine. I've given you my word. I've given you my promise. I've given you ears to hear and hearts to know. Verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. What an awful description. What a terrible thing to be written up about. Instead of drawing near to God, they ran away from him, even as Adam and Eve hid from God. That's the way of sin. Not listening to his word. Not submitting to his way. And if we remain in that way, if we remain in rebellion, seeking to serve self, rather than the one who has made us and provided salvation for us, there can only be promised destruction. But it's worse than that in verse 12. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And right away, if you're listening to those words, you're already thinking about Paul in Romans 1. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He gives them over. And we should pause in hearing that and be broken by it. It is why listening and obeying more that why believing and finding life and satisfaction in him by grace alone is the only right way. The only way. And so the Lord, even here, I gave them over and yet he pleads in grace and compassion. Verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. We hear his affection. I am willing that none would perish. We hear it even in the context of present discipline. And we know it in our lives. And that must drive us in being made able to know the sin of our hearts and lives. To repent and believe the gospel promise of salvation in our triune God alone. 
it should lead us to call out to him, knowing that he will hear us and act, calling out to him for the help that we need to know that my only comfort and my only satisfaction in this life and in the life to come is found in him and in following his way. We cry out, deliver us from our enemies. Deliver me from sin and Satan and self in the assurance that you will come quickly to save me and to provide a way of escape. In fact, that's his care too. Verse 14, I I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against the foe. The Lord is saying to his people, this would be an easy thing for me. You ask and it can be done. Just ask. Listen to me. Do we believe that? For the history of his mighty acts on behalf of his people, see all of the account of the scriptures, proves this true in every conceivable way. But that means remaining dissatisfied with the Lord and his way will always lead to judgment. And it will be sure in the last day. Verse 15, those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. They will cower and be brought low in fear in the last days and theirs will be a bad time of doom forever. Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recompense. For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. That is the only end for those who remain separate from God, rejecting his promise and dismissing his way. But instead, what if we were to give ourselves to believing Psalm 66.3, say to God, how awesome are your deeds? So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Hear it this way, congregation. Even his enemies before that last day can find forgiveness in him. Even those hardened in sin in the now can be changed and brought before him, cringing in humble dependence, just like us. That promise is true too. And then we're brought again to that promise of grace. Verse 16, but he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. It's the joy of the Lord in Psalm 147, 14. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. It's the power of the Lord in Deuteronomy 32. He made him ride on the high places of the land and he ate the produce of the field and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats with the very finest of the wheat and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. He's able to bring blessing even out of that. You see, he alone can provide that which we long for. He alone can provide that which satisfies. So why are you seeking it apart from him? Why are you seeking contentment or happiness and things apart from God, which can never provide for the longing of your heart? 
put them away. Cast them off. For the one who calls us, the one that we doubt and disobey so often, is not tight-fisted or stingy or impotent in the ways that he extends grace upon grace upon grace. It says in Psalm 107.9, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Are we listening? Are we listening? Are we obeying? Are we finding ourselves in Christ not having a righteousness of our own? Are we resting in the fact that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him? Israel often forgot and needed to be brought back to his word of past blessings and future grace. We often forget too. And week by week, we're brought back to this place for the same. If you would but listen to me, may we strive to give all our heart and soul and mind and strength to that endeavor in the power of his spirit and to the glory of his name. Would we just listen? Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and wonder of this psalm, for its call to behold you in all of your holiness and splendor and goodness, in all of your covenant keeping. But also, Father, it brings us before our unbelief, before our stubbornness, before all the ways in which we are more than forgetful, but we set aside the promise. We don't think you're able or powerful enough or that you care enough, or that you've done enough. Lord, please help our unbelief. Forgive our unbelief. Increase our faith in the wonder of who you are by your word and spirit. And may the blessing of Christ, all the sweetness of this text, finding all of its wonder in him as we taste and see that which is good, as we participate in him, Lord, may all of our sweetness, all of our nourishment, all of our wonder be found in him. And so, Father, we pray as we seek to live that life out together. Father, as we come week by week to give ourselves to that gospel, may we never be slack in hearing. May you work sanctification in us that we would be obeying. And when we fall short, Drive us to the cross and to our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.